You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at both Locked On WBB and, of course, at High Post Hoops, your 24-7 source for all things women's basketball. And somebody we'd like to welcome to the world of women's basketball and obviously in a very prominent role is the new head coach of the Los Angeles Sparks, Derek Fisher. Derek, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Of course, man. Thank you for having me, Howard. Absolutely. So, place I'd love to start. You know, it was obviously a very informative press conference, and uh, no one really has uh, any question about, you know, what the Sparks' opportunity is. You spoke about that really eloquently. I, I was particularly taken by your desire to go beyond words into actions as it relates to women's basketball. And uh, I thought that really struck a chord. Uh, I guess I, I'm curious, in the conversations you have with Penny Toller, what did you say and what do you believe you specifically can bring to the table to achieve more success in L.A. in a place where, you know, there's already been obviously uh, a recent uh, significant amount of success, both in terms of winning championships and, you know, making the playoffs in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. I mean, I, you know, the conversations that Penny and I have had um, just off and on as peers in a sense over the years, um, you know, I think kind of led to a, a comfort level with conversations that we had in more recent weeks and, um, you know, I mean, Pennington uh, elaborate more in terms of the timing of, you know, Brian's resignation and kind of what her thinking became in terms of what was needed next. But our conversation is really centered around, um, you know, really building strong relationships with our players and making sure that there's a level of trust and communication uh, and ability to work together and continuously be uh, on the same page with how to be successful and how to go out and win. Um, and not that they hadn't won previously and, like you said, won championships and been in contention for championships. Um, so the conversation didn't center around, um, in comparison to Brian, how can you be better? It, mm-hmm. it, the conversation more so centered around we're probably going to lose our current coach and these are the things that, think are important for our new head coach to, to have in terms of skills and communication, et cetera. And, you know, the, the type of person and personality that our players really would want to uh, connect with and buy into and, and, and partner with. And that's what we really focused on. So let's speak to that end. You know, there's a lot of conversation about uh, how things went in New York and, you know, there's the number 40 and 96 of the record uh, that you put up there uh, is something that's thrown on pretty frequently. But, you know, especially as someone who, who witnessed it firsthand, New York was a very different situation, as I don't need to tell you, in a lot of ways, uh, from freedom mm-hmm. of being implementing your own system to, um, you know, the amount of support you have uh, from above. Uh, so, I, you know, knowing that firsthand, it obviously is hard to make an apples-to-apples comparison. But I, I wonder for you, what did you take away from it uh, and what can we expect to be uh, the same in terms of style, in terms of substance, from what you've done in, you know, w- what is your previous stop as a head coach? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, I think the, 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 the major thing I learned from it, and I, and, and I definitely appreciate the context that you gave there, 
um, having been in New York a lot as as things were playing out in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think what I really learned from it is that one, first of all, the, there are amazing coaches uh, in the history of our game, men and women, uh, that at different points in their career, whether at the beginning, in the middle, or towards the end, if you took a snapshot of a year and a half to maybe two years of their winning percentage, you know, it may not be 67%. No question. Um, no question. So, you know, and so for, especially for myself as a young coach, you have to start somewhere. And that doesn't start with winning 80% of your games like Pat Riley or Phil Jackson or, you know, some of the greatest coaches to ever do it. Um, you know, it takes work and it takes time and it takes effort. And so what I learned um, is to appreciate that journey and, and that, and that going through the experience in particular because of how fortunate I was to play on really successful teams, having the, the losing experience in my first year in New York in particular, that was really the key transitional year where Man. the season started. We had a roster that we thought could compete for some postseason action in the Eastern Conference, but there were just too many different directions and messages and things that really kind of broke that down. So we pushed the reset button in the middle of my first season. Yeah. So, you know, we shut Carmelo Anthony down, knee surgery, trade J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, et cetera. You know, Amari, Amari Stoudemire is kind of basically his NBA career is pretty much done. So we start over with GD guys like Langston Galloway and the journeymen like Lou Amundsen and Lance Thomas, and we started to build a culture. And, and, and I just have to interrupt to point out that, you know, in the case of Galloway and the case of Lance Thomas, uh, you know, your, your work with them from a developmental perspective has turned them into uh, regular and successful NBA players. Yes, no, thank you for, for saying that, because that's, that's one additional component when you ask what can we expect to be the same from New York to now coaching the Sparks is that aspect as well, the developmental aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was another thing that Penny and I really talked about a lot, um, is that really having some plans and a commitment to player development and player performance uh, really is key to help you because a lot of things are very similar. And in particular with the harder salary cap structure, you have to help the players that you have drafted um, and signed that you feel like maybe kind of towards the, the end of your roster, if the rookies or younger players, uh, they have to get better in a way that, um, you know, their contracts become really valuable because they are exceeding that value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for Sydney Weiss or Maria Vadiva or some of our younger players, like we, we have to make sure that they are getting better at a, at a clip that when they touch the floor in the game, it really can add value to our group and what we're doing. Let, let me and ask you about. I, I'm sorry, yeah, Dave. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, no, just just to that end, because I, you know, I wanted to talk to you about Maria, who obviously limited minutes last year, but uh, showed some real, mm-hmm. uh, some real promise there. And I'm wondering whether mm-hmm. you see her as a, a significant part of what the Derek Fisher Sparks looked like, and what you think the shape of her career can look like. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, the, in the, the video and, and film and things that I've watched um, quite a bit over the last several weeks, um, I like Maria in particular 
Um, she's very smart. Her IQ is really high, but uh, her defensive reactivity is what really jumped out to me mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, like, she is always in the right spots defensively in terms of whether it's on the ball in certain row situations or weak side in terms of her rotations and challenging shots or blocking shots. Uh, she, she can kind of rebound well in traffic and knows how to immediately get that ball out and, and, and start rim running and hitting the floor. Uh, and so, you know, minutes are always hard to come by for uh, first-year, second-year players when you have a front court like we do with Candace and Necker up front and, and Jonathan Lavender, who, you know, has been six women of the year in recent mm-hmm. years. Like, that's a hard rotation to crack into. But from what I have seen from the distance in terms of evaluating Maria, uh, I think that she fits in very well with what we can do and can build. And, 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 you, know, and Penny, you know, Penny will have the harder job of, you know, how that works in terms of our roster construction and what she feels like we may or may not need to do to get better. But when if Maria's on our roster from a coaching perspective, I'm looking forward to finding ways to give her more opportunity to help us win. It's interesting. You mentioned both her ability to, to rim run and also operate in transition. And a couple of specifics that you mentioned at the press conference that jumped out at me, where you talked about this team needs to improve on the boards and this team needs to improve on pace. And, uh, you know, the numbers bear it out that the Sparks were last year 11th and 12th, respectively, in those two areas. So yes. how do you do that short of changing personnel? How, how do you make a team a better rebounding team, number one? And number two, do you think that this is a team, you know, it, it's like you said, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's a veteran team. The cake is baked in some really significant ways because of who is under contract, who comes back. Like you said, uh, you know, Penny's hands are tied in a lot of ways and, and you kind of want mm-hmm. them to be in, you know, with a roster with NECA and, and a roster with Candace. So how do you uh, bring that about as a coach? And I think um, first we'll start with the rebounding, which I think then leads into the case discussion of mm-hmm. the rebounding. You know, that's the final piece of a good defensive possession. And, and then a good defensive team uh, version on, the, on, on being great at defense, rebounding is such a key part. But that, that starts with being in the right positions to get rebounds. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so – we have to shore up and, and hopefully we can shore up our ability to be in the right positions defensively um, in terms of our rotations, uh, in terms of our shell defense behind the basketball, uh, in terms of being better as much as possible with you know, making sure we're keeping ball handlers under control and really closing out things that when the ball goes up, we're in the right positions to rebound. Um, and some of that is on our perimeter players. It's not just Candace and Mecca um, and Jean-Pierre and Maria, but it's also Elena Beer being able to come in and crash and we can get her back. It's Chelsea becoming a better rebounder, mm-hmm. you know, if she's back. Like, it, it takes all five. And then from there, I think our pace can improve uh, if we show up our ability to close down defense, defensive possessions with rebounds. Uh, because now I think we have the type of roster that, at least four of our players will be able to rebound and push it themselves. Obviously, Candace will be able to do it, uh, but our other three kind of wing and guard players will be able to do it. Uh, and Mecca isn't terrible at you know handling the basketball herself, uh, but I think we'll be 
in a position where we can push more pace, we rebound the ball better defensively, and then offensively, our rebounding can can really be advantageous to us if our spacing can improve, and and we can understand you know how to be in the right spots offensively that create more driving lanes that put us in front of the rim more often, creating more foul situations, an opportunity to get offensive rebounds because of the pressure that we're putting on the rim, and not just settling for late shot clock you know jumpers from the perimeter hoping that they go in, uh, and so these are not what I'm saying because. Brian was doing a bad job at these things. He won a championship with this team. So right. he's obviously doing a lot of really good things. But these are just my observations in terms of what I feel like I can try and help our team do to be better in these areas. And and specific to Chelsea Gray, you, you've talked about, you know, and she's a free agent. And obviously, you know, it's going to be up to Penny, you know, whether she's able to come back. But just personally, as, as someone who appreciates point guard play, uh, in the league, and and Chelsea being somebody who I, I had multiple WNBA talent evaluators tell me over the past year that she was the MVP of this team. Uh, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is is she in your mind and in the mind of the organization uh, the number one priority when it comes to uh, what the off season needs to provide? I mean, I I haven't asked that question to Penny directly in terms of if. If Chelsea is the, you know, number one priority out of every priority that we have, but I, I believe that it is of extreme importance uh, for us to do whatever we can to make sure that Chelsea is back. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a transition of what Candace and Mecca have accomplished and will continue to accomplish. I think that's important to have, um, you know, Chelsea in the mix of that that young player that's on the verge of breaking through and becoming that MVP type candidate um, that is is humble enough um, and, and, and understands how to balance her ego enough to allow Candace and Mecca to be who they are, but then at the same time have the, the confidence and the mental fortitude uh, to believe in herself and to push the envelope and take some risks and be great. Uh, and so I think that's really important for us to focus on. And I know Penny wants to get it done, and I believe I'm confident that we will. Um, and, and I agree with some of the talent evaluators that that was something that, as a Spark fan, kind of, you know, going to New York, coming back. When I first got back from New York, I was more kind of in the house and, and really not going out a lot. And then over the last couple of summers and going to watch the Spark team a bit more, you could see Chelsea from the two years ago to this past season just makes such a huge jump and put her into that conversation of one of the better players on the team. And I think that that trend is going to continue as long as she's healthy and, you know, she clearly wants to work hard and be great. So hopefully we can have her back. Well, it'd be fascinating to see. And I, obviously to, to get her the chance to work with, with a point guard who's done everything the way you have uh, would be, I think, terrific for her, for the lead as well. Uh, many other NBA players have made this transition to WNBA coach. Uh, there have been a lot who haven't succeeded with it. I think the total was 16. I think Michelle Vopel had that. Um, but there are a handful who have done it and done it extremely well. I'm wondering if you've reached out uh, to any of those players, whether it's Bill Ambeer, uh, you know, or the like, to uh, to get a sense of what are the specific ways in which, it, yes, absolutely basketball is basketball, but the ways in which uh, it is easiest and best to make that transition. Yes, 
No, I have not up to this date, and it's been an amazing whirlwind since, uh, I mean, we basically agreed to start working together on Wednesday of last week, so it's been one week. And uh, from, sure. you know, pressers and media and, uh, you know, signing my new higher pay work and insurance coverages and, you know, <laughs> things that we, we had to get done. But, um, but yes, now Bill Beer for sure is, is on a list of folks to speak with. I think that um, yeah, I've actually spoken to Joe DeMars in recent days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he obviously was in Detroit for a long time and kind of oversaw a lot of the aspects of the Detroit shock when Bill was in Detroit. Uh, he had some great thoughts. Uh, Reggie Theus is a guy that I've been around and kind of come in contact with. Uh, he, he had the opportunity to do it um, and, and been in contact with him in the last couple of days. Uh, but, but guys like Michael Cooper, um, you know, that I, I would love to sit down and talk to, but I really try to respect the, the professional aspects of going through this process. And, you know, Penny didn't want to share with too many people, be, and, and I didn't either, because if we couldn't reach an agreement, we didn't want anyone to have egg on their face and, sure. you know, end up looking like it was a bad situation. And so um, that's something that I plan to do, to your point, uh, mm-hmm. to talk to folks that have done it and, and been successful, maybe not as successful as they would have liked to have been, but really just advice, thoughts, insight, context, and ultimately factor those things into, you know, what I believe in terms of my instincts and what my intuition is telling me. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to subsequent conversations between us about that. I, I, I want to address the the issue that's come up, and, and I, I've addressed it in, in writing as well, uh, but several people have mentioned, uh, the and it's the issue of sort of the way this happened. And I know you can't speak to uh, the how and the why. Ultimately, the, you know, those were Penny Toller's decisions, uh, not yours. But uh, you've been eloquent on the question of race and coaches getting an opportunity in the NBA. And uh, you, you and I are like-minded on this, the fact that um, there has been a gap historically between the number of um, African-American head coaches in the NBA uh, relative to the number of African-American players, and that those opportunities are, it seems, uh, more frequently reserved uh, for white coaches, uh, better opportunities more often in the chance to get a second opportunity. And, and, and I guess with that as the context, I, I wonder whether you appreciate and understand why uh, there's a similar thought process and feeling among uh, a lot of uh, the women in coaching that, you know, here's, a, here's an, a, another example of uh, a man getting that opportunity without women so much as getting an interview. Uh, and whether it feels at some level like there's even added pressure on you because of that, because you have a situation where uh, if an uh, ATO doesn't go your way, that people will be looking at it within that context. So I'm just hoping you could talk to me a little bit about your thinking uh, within that framework and uh, and those questions of diversity. Yeah, no, it's it's a conversation that, like you say, you know, as we visit again in the future. <laughs> You know, it'll be more than one time that we probably can, you know, kind of flush this out a little bit. But sure. Um, no, I, I, I feel like I can. I don't want to say I definitely can because I'm not a woman. And so I, I cannot ever fully speak to what a woman experiences professionally, personally, 
uh, how women have endured in so many ways uh, to continue to achieve and accomplish at high levels in business and sports, et cetera. So I can't speak to that from experience. However, I do feel like being a man of color does give me some relation to the experience of, um, you know, whether not as much opportunity or not as many ways uh, to move onward, upward, um, you know, whether it's interviews, job positions, opportunities, et cetera. But what I have learned that, that uh, uh, you know, a lot of it is relationship-based in that sometimes there's a, uh, there's gender involved, sometimes there's race involved, um, but a lot of times it's also there's relationship that is or isn't involved. Um, and really having opportunities to do things be a part of things comes through, you know, being in relationship with uh, different people and the right people. And for women, a lot of times that's harder to do, to be in relationship with men that are in decision-making positions because um, of all the things that women experience professionally when it comes to the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. So it's such a right. large conversation. No that, question. Um, I think it's hard to dive into in short sound bites, so to speak. But I, I, I'm here... Um, to help advance that conversation and to be a part of, um, I think, the positive aspects of seeing the growth and evolution of, of women being and, and, and having opportunities that they truly want to have, um, regardless of their gender. Like, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm not here to take away or to challenge that. Um, and hopefully, you know, through handling myself and being an ambassador for women's sports and women's programs and the WNBA in general um, and just having more people talking about our game and watching it and paying attention to it, um, that positive things can come from it. No question. Uh, last thing before I let you go, uh, just from the goal perspective, you know, given what LA has been, given the roster that you have and uh, given the expectations that uh, you've been uh, given, a team that made the playoffs last year, a team that went to the WNBA Finals as recently as 2017, won in 2016. Is anything short of a championship going to be a satisfying outcome for you this season? I mean, I can probably arguably tell you no because of more of my, my just, I think, championship, quote-unquote, experience outside of coaching. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's kind of the way I see the world anyway, <laughs> like that. Um, that, you know, there are still seasons as a player that when we didn't win the championship, even if I was on a team that had no business even thinking about winning the championship, it still was a gut punch that still hurts to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that standpoint, I think the answer is yes. But I, I think it's important, you know, that, where it used to be kind of like championship or bust mentality and you start the season that, you know, thinking, man, we have to win a championship or else it's a failure. And although that may be the end result, I think we've, we've evolved, I think, in societal ways and, and in sports in particular where, yeah, that may be the end goal, but we have to be so insanely focused and obsessed on the daily habits and the details of how to win a championship that the championship actually ends up happening because we did all of those other things. Uh, and so the, the, the challenge for me and the focus for me will be 
yes, of course, we want to win. We should win. Mm-hmm. Candace says she wants to win another championship. I know these players want to win another championship. So that's not even something that we have to get stuck on. We have to figure out a way to get stuck on the daily things that will help us have a chance to do that. And all you can ask for is an opportunity in this world, which is what we just talked about as far as women and people of color. Like mm-hmm. Just having an opportunity to do it is so important. And we have to be focused on positioning ourselves to have an opportunity. And then if the opportunity is there and we've been doing the right things all season, we hopefully can finish the job. Well, Derek, I, I congratulate you on your opportunity for sure and look forward to many conversations in the future. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Howard. Take care, Nick. You too.